0: Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade, or I should say Classic Movie Cavalcade. This week, something a little bit different. So one of my most fun projects is that I do work for a site called Galactic Journey, which imagines the world of science fiction, fantasy, comics, and other media from 55 years ago, 1965. So on Galactic Journey, our host Gideon Marcus also runs a video podcast, which is available on YouTube, See show notes for details. And I had the pleasure of guesting on Gideon's show a couple weeks ago. We talked about some of the best movies of the last 15 years, which in this case is 1950 to 1965. We talk about such movies as Destination Moon, The Day the Earth Stood Still, Forbidden Planet, Godzilla. The World, The Flesh, and the Devil, The Time Machine, The Day the Earth Stood Still, Panic in Year Zero, Robinson Crusoe on Mars, Failsafe, and a lot more. Um, this was a gas, a tremendously fun time to hang out and talk old movies. It's launched me into a whole new obsession. I'm watching crazy amount of old sci-fi, horror, post-apocalypse movies, um, which I'll probably have as a topic for another future podcast. In any event, hope you enjoy this kind of different episode Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. It starts right after this commercial.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Journey Show. And I hear we have some very loud microphones out on the other end of the Telstar audience. So welcome, everybody. We have a very exciting movie-focused show for you tonight. We have guests here today, the esteemed Natalie Devitt, a film expert. And, of course, Jason Sachs, who wrote the book on comic books and has also been to every drive-in and dive and watched every MBC Science Fiction movie of the week in order to be fully versed on the viewings today. And you might recognize the person to my left, the young traveler who has been the hapless victim, I mean, companion in all of the journey's reviews. So we will all have a great holistic view of movies in the 1950s and early 1960s. But first, this news. The Indian-Pakistani war over the border province of Kashmir, which has raged for more than a month and threatened to widen to include red China, appears to have halted. Upon a decree of the United Nations Security Council, both sides have agreed to a ceasefire. However, sporadic fighting continues in the region. The United Nations welcomes its 115th, 116th, and 117th member states as Gambia, Singapore, and the Maldives join the August Assembly. France, on the other hand, plans to leave NATO. French President Charles de Gaulle explained that the international organization designed to ward off communist attack into Western Europe was antithetical to nationalist expression. The bitter 10-week battle in Greece between King Constantine and ousted Prime Minister George Papandreou has ended in victory for the monarchy and the right wing. Yesterday, the Greek parliament voted 152 to 148 to confirm the king's new choice of premier, Stephanos Stephanopoulos. The 101st Airborne Division was deployed to central Vietnam earlier this month, the largest single dispatch of American forces to the region. The United States appears to have taken over military operations in Vietnam and has begun strong offensives. Mother Nature has begun some offensives of her own. Earlier this year, Hurricane Betsy pummeled the Caribbean, Miami, and New Orleans, causing billions in damage and leaving hundreds homeless. The course of the hurricane was extensively monitored by no fewer than four NASA weather satellites. More than 300 fires burned across the state of California in one of the worst years on record. Fire season will continue through to November. Moving to La Jolla, or rather just off the coast of that suburb of San Diego, California, SeaLab 2 continues as humanity's most ambitious underwater base yet. Led by former Mercury astronaut Scott Carpenter, SeaLab is serviced by Tuffy the Dolphin, who acts as companion, handyman, and gopher. Finally, the appointment of Roma Mitchell to the Supreme Court of South Australia marks the first time a woman has been appointed judge on the island continent. And that's the news. Welcome. We see the aisles are filling up. That's great. As long as we don't exceed fire code, we should be just fine. And we have brand new Intelsat satellites in orbit ensuring that we will have none of the technical problems that have plagued the Journey show the past couple of times. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce our panel. And by the way, the topic today is movies. And as a result, we want you, the viewing audience, to be thinking about questions to ask our esteemed panel. Whatever you want, you lead where the panel goes. But first, let's find out who our guests are. Natalie DeWitt. Tell us a little about you and what makes this period of science fiction so amazing.
2: So I'm Natalie Devitt, uh, associate writer for The Journey. I study television and film, and I would say this period is so important, or at least this period I think is really interesting, because I think it's a period that is really underestimated. I don't think it's really a genre that a lot of people take as seriously as they probably should. So any opportunity to shine a light on it, I'm happy to do that.
1: That's a that's a that's a fair point. To us, it's a really big deal, but to the viewing audience, science fiction is is propeller head beanie stuff a lot of the times. That's a good point. Uh, Jason, who are you, and what do you find so exciting about these last fifteen years?
0: So I'm all, I'm Jason Sachs. I'm also an associate writer for the Journey, and I am delighted to join you. I have a dear friend who is a, a film reviewer and. Film fan at the Everett Star here in my local town. And we've had a chance to catch a number of science fiction and kind of art films as well, both uh, driving down the new I 5 into Seattle, as well as uh, watching on, on his super eight millimeter films in his basement. And I've come to love film as a way of seeing our society and seeing other societies too. Um, I was really intrigued by the different ways different countries approach creating their science fiction films and some of the common tropes there. So um, hope we can talk about that a bit today.
1: I, I'm not sure what a trope is. I, I think you mean theme, perhaps, subject, maybe. <laughs> Thank I, you, I, yes. I, I, I've heard of tropes, but only in reference yeah, my to plants. By the way, to, this my is a, is time, a while, big... Yeah. While we wait for your questions to come in, now is a good time to say that this program is brought to you by our informal sponsor, Sikonic, making fine eight millimeter film cameras so you can make yourself the pictures you want. Well, let's start at the very beginning of our era because before 1950, science fiction in the movies was a fairly rare thing. We had Frau Immond, we had Metropolis. We had uh, the original When Worlds Collide. We had uh, uh, Things to Come. But in general, science fiction was, was a topic that was not in the films very much, except, of course, for monster flicks. And then suddenly, in 1950, we get Destination Moon. And for the first time, we have something that a science fiction magazine fan might recognize as actual science fiction in film. And then the following year, we have two big blockbusters. We have The Day the Earth Stood Still and When Worlds Collide, I mentioned that as a as the subject of one of our last articles and someone said earth just can't make up its mind. So what <laughs> the coming out of the gate what made the early fi- what made these movies suddenly explode what was such a big deal about science fiction in the fil- in the movies in the early 50s?
2: Natalie. I well, I think it's A number of a different combination of different things um i would say you have for instance people watching things like television um you have a lot of attempts to draw audiences away from television you start to see more kind of gimmicks you see entertainment often geared more towards like younger demographics especially at the drive-in jason do you have anything to add
0: Well, I think um, it, it's a couple things to add. One is that science fiction has always been something that uh, people in my generation love going back to Flash Gordon serials and the other serials from the 1930s that we uh, grew up seeing in the theaters. Along with that um, there is just this interest in kind of seeing a larger world around us. I want to call out one of my all-time favorite films which my film critic friend um, shared with me A 1946 British film called um, Stairway to Heaven in the US, um, also called A Matter of Life and Death. Um, It stars David Niven, it's kind of a reversed version of Wizard of Oz in that our real world is in black and white and a fantasy world is in color. Um, It's got some beautiful cinematography and it really reflects kind of a post-war romance optimism that um, unfortunately was quickly dashed in light of the Cold War starting, Mm -hmm. which we're sadly still in the middle of. And um, I think what we see in the early 1950s movies, um, particularly, obviously, in The Day the Earth sits Still, is a fear of what's coming out of World War II, of kind of facing our own mortality.
1: That's interesting. So 1946 is- uh, I was I was 27 at the time, and I had not really gotten into science fiction yet. Uh, by the way, behind the scenes, we will be showing you uh, 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 pictures from the movies we're discussing, and also referencing the articles. We we've, we've covered so many movies in the last seven years of the journey, so that's pretty exciting. Um, I I think. Perhaps what Destination Moon did, and if you've never seen Destination Moon, we have not covered it on The Journey because it precedes The Journey. In fact, it came out the year that I started reading science fiction in a big way. But um, but Destination Moon was really the first attempt to bring science fiction to the screen in a, in a realistic way. Robert Heinlein was a technical consultant, it uh, was very very clearly inspired by, or in the same genre as, as the, of all the, um, the Billy Lay and Chesley Bonestell Collier's articles that were coming out. It was what we expected the future to look like. And in fact, the future does look like if you've, if you've seen the movie, um, it's not the most riveting movie in the world, but it feels very present. You watch it now and and it doesn't seem dated, even though it's now 15 years old. And I think that really, unpop the cork on science fiction, perhaps, although I don't know how successful the movie actually was in its time. Um, Certainly, The Day the Earth Stood Still and When Worlds Collide were very different thematically from that movie and did not attempt realism. Um, What is your favorite movie of the early 50s, Natalie?
2: I'm going to go with either Them or The Thing from Another World.
1: Now, what is it that, that appeals to you about those movies? By the way, I've seen The Thing from Another World. I have not seen them. So tell us a little about them, neither of which we've covered at The Journey. Oh, you, your microphone has turned off.
2: Sorry. I feel a movie like Them... I really feel like you have to see it to really appreciate it because if I tell you it's a movie involving giant ants you're gonna be like oh a movie involving giant ants when you watch it and you actually see like the relationships between the characters and everything it's actually a pretty impressive movie um as far as the thing from another world I think that it has really good dialogue it's not the biggest flashiest movie but I just think really good character-driven great and well-written movie
1: that's interesting and and thing from another world what do you like about that one that that of course is based on John Campbell's story who goes there but I don't know if it has any resemblance to it yes' you're, you're muted oh,
2: sorry as I mentioned before I think it has really strong dialogue
1: and then they have Jim Arness as a giant carrot so I, I have... go ahead Jason.
0: I haven't seen that movie before it came out, but I remember how beautiful the black and white cinematography was in that. Um, particularly the scene where they find the flying saucer in the frozen waste of the Arctic and all the men surround it, touching hands. It's just a gorgeously composed scene that really worked well with the black and white cinematography. Um, I know um, The Day of the Earth is still is a very preachy film but I also enjoyed it for its kind of pseudo-documentary feel to it. Um, and I think the response of the military kind of is halfway exactly what you would expect to see, where there's this tremendous surprise, the, uh, flying, the, the use of real-world locations is wonderful, having the saucer land inside a group of baseball fields across from the White House just feels very real. You know, This was obviously filmed in the actual place where it was done. And that made it feel a lot more immediate. And there's other places where the movie really strains credulity, among others, that the military doesn't actually guard the ship and people can sneak on and off it. Um, but um, it felt very, I enjoyed that kind of reality of it. And that- uh, we talk about verisimilitude, right? And that really felt like it had the verisimilitude.
1: Well, that brings up an interesting point. So the question is, why did I choose now? Journey has been around for a long time. Why did I pick this year of 1965 to do this movie retrospective? And for me, I feel like we were about to hit a sea change. You can, you can tell me if you feel the same way in terms of movies. So when, when we started on this journey, for instance, spaceships were either V2 rocket ships or flying saucers. And now we've got Stanley Kubrick's movie Two Thousand and One coming out soon, and we've got Star Trek, which has already got two pilots in the can. And spaceships look different; they're finally evolving. I feel like science fiction is becoming something more mature, and and therefore the fifteen years of the past, starting with Destination Moon and ending with I don't know what what, what's the uh, the Satan Bug? I don't uh, fail safe. form sort of a, a, an era. Lorelai, you have been with The Journey watching movies ever since The Blob. What have you noted about the evolution of film over this time?
3: Well, I definitely noticed the, the evolution of spaceship types. In the early 50s, uh, there was a big emphasis on the flying saucer, it just looks like a giant egg in the sky, um, giant fried egg. Um, and i think we're finally starting like you said to to lean away from that it's not either the classic uh bullet rocket ship and it's not the flying saucer anymore um both styles we saw in the double feature we saw the other day of the day the earth stood still and when worlds collide um but uh yeah it's it's a stylistic thing artistically um I think it's really valuable to look at these old movies because, uh, though there is a change, um, there's a lot of things that have stayed the same too. And these early movies have really influenced uh, the the current things that are coming out. I saw an image of uh, what the inside of the doc- in Doctor Who um, there was a fanzine that came across the pond, and I saw an image of what the inside of the TARDIS looked like and i noticed a lot of similarities when watching the day the earth stood still and how like the implements look sort of this glass futuristic aesthetic um, that has been carried over into science fiction today Uh, and so i think just looking at that evolution of um, artistic choices in how things are designed technologically is really interesting Trish Madsen
1: says something really interesting talking about uh, On the on the Beach has been mentioned a number of times. And and one thing I want to point out is we talk about science fiction, but the fact is, as you can see in the poll that we've, we've sent you by Telex, which you are all answering through your ASR 33 teletypes. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we will apply them to punch cards, tabulate the data, and in a week we should have the answers for you. Um, but what's really interesting is there are so many different genres of science fiction. I don't think any movie that has come out in the last 15 years, with the exception of perhaps Destination Moon, is something that m- most literate science fiction readers would classify as true science fiction. Are, are there any are there any standouts that you've seen in the last 15 years that you'd say, no, this is something that is a pretty good adaptation of, of mature science fiction that I've read? I'll throw that to anybody.
0: Yes, I would choose, um Well, science fiction, well, I guess we could, can we include horror in that? Uh, Depends. um, Because the film I really enjoyed, which um, I really enjoyed was uh, Nine of the Eagle, also known as Burn, Witch, Burn, which is an adaptation of Fritz Lieber's Conjure Wife. Um, British film, black and white, and it has just this wonderful kind of manic intensity to it that perfectly fits the story it doesn't explain everything either as it goes it allows you to kind of find your way as the story does um, for a while you're wondering if the wife in the film is crazy and although the ending is a bit telegraphed, um, it has a great kind of classic kind of science fiction magazine feel to it
1: Natalie, are there, any, are there any science fiction films you've seen that strike you as more science? I mean, we had the Mindbenders, which was interesting, and and
2: yeah. And last year, I I did a review on Robinson Crusoe on Mars, and part of the big deal about that movie was it was you know supposed to be more accurate in terms of its depiction of you know spacecrafts in terms of it's uh, the the way in which Mars is shown. Though... I there, I. I I have some issues with that because, of course, people are walking around not concerned about oxygen. But, yeah, it, it was our pills. It was a step forward. That's, that was an interesting
0: movie, Natalie. What did you make of the kind of pseudoscience in it with the rocks that create oxygen and him discovering water? Um, How did that feel to you?
2: I felt like it created its own little universe and it played by its own rules as well as it could. Um, but as I mentioned before, it's a step forward, but probably not. probably not the most accurate <laughs> depiction of things, and probably not really in the direction I think things are headed.
1: Well, and of course, we now know that, uh, we, we, have, we, we know even more about Mars than we did before, which makes it even more unlikely that that you could have uh, the, the, the situation as depicted on the planet. But they, they did make some attempts, and, and that is a point. What's really interesting about Robinson Crusoe on Mars is if you look at the aliens, Um, Who has seen War of the Worlds? I have not. So for those who have seen War of the Worlds, how close are those alien ships?
2: Remarkably similar. And it's the same direction,
1: correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I,
1: I would say that one of my favorite science fiction genres has to be the bomb and after the bomb genre, which of course is really big in the last 15 years because we've lived on the nuclear precipice this whole time. I think it's, it's, a it's something about which it's fairly easy to get the science right. The the gripping drama is sort of baked in, um, and you can do it on a big budget or a small budget. Uh, I'd love to go around the round table and ask what your favorite movie of that genre is. And I'll start with Lorelai.
3: Oh, um, I'd have to say Panic in Year Zero. It's, uh... It's this f- fabulously done uh low budget movie about a family um caught in the middle of a nuclear war and how what they have to do to survive and the morally gray decisions that they have to make to survive um and basically ask the question what what is wrong and right when society is collapsing around you um, I'd say close second, though, is Dr. Strangelove, because it's, I, you don't often see a comedic side to, uh, stories like that. Um, it's often done in sort of the Twilight Zone, uh, like, style, where it's a very dark, uh, realization or, or twist, um, and, uh, and Dr. Strangelove was able to, to take comedic aspects of that and turn it around. Um, But Panic in Year Zero, I think, is definitely the best, especially because um, even in its darkest moments, it's just a question of humanity and the characters are still compelling and um, like very relatable, even in this fantastic situation.
1: Well, and I think something... uh, a a thread that runs through this golden age of science fiction, of course, is the co-star that is also a teen singing idol and Panic in Your Zero had Frankie Avalon and how many other movies have had, had Fabian or, or whoever, or Pat Boone. Uh, Natalie, your favorite example of this after the bomb genre and why?
2: I'm gonna have to echo what Lorelai said about Dr. Strangelove. I'm sorry, I can't hear you terribly well.
1: We're not saying anything. We, I was asking what you, which movies of the after the bomb genre you found most compelling.
2: Jason, do you have anything while I think? I'm gonna
1: jump in. Okay, Go for it,
0: Jason. Yeah, I can jump in while she... Uh... Well, she thinks so. So first of all, I, I concur with Dr. Strangelove. Um, my film critic friend and I agreed it was the best film of 1964. Just an outstanding uh, landmark in filmmaking, in my mind. All the performances in are extraordinary. Uh, the the way um, Kubrick's cinematogra- director, Stanley Kubrick's cinematographer, whose name escapes me at the moment, uses the blackness of the events to continually uh, play up the intensity of the scenes is wonderful, I think, in terms of both my enjoyment of it intellectually and my enjoyment of emotion, of it emotionally, it was incredibly powerful. And in terms of a, after the bomb, I'm gonna go a little off the board and I'm going to choose a uh, Vincent Price film um, called Last Man on Earth, mm-hmm. which is a film about a world where vampires are taken over the earth. Although to be fair, I'm not sure if they're vampires or zombies in context um, and Price is effectively Uh, We see Vincent Price kind of lose his sanity and we find out that his uh, daughter and then his wife had died from this disease that swept the earth. You can't imagine a disease sweeping the earth like that, but regardless. um, And it kind of destroys his sanity. He eventually finds another person to be with and he thinks he'll have redemption. But in the final act of the movie, um, it turns in extremely dark ways. Um, Our Rose Benton, uh, my friend Rose Benton, as well as yours. Um, didn't like the movie, movie nearly as much as I did. I'm kind of haunted by the performance of Vincent Price. Um, the flatness and intensity of his performance just really brings out the depth of his extreme sorrow in the film. Um, so although not an ap- post-apocalypse film, well, uh, if that's a phrase that anyone uses, although not an a after-the-bomb film, um, it certainly is a uh, after-the-end-of-the-world sort of film.
1: I've, I've made no secret of which one's my favorite. I uh, am a huge fan of the world, the flesh, and the devil, which, like Panic in your Zero, is another one of those low-budget, intimate, but let's have some great actors and do some rather revolutionary things with morality and story. Um, I watched On the Beach, and I wasn't super thrilled with it. I also read the book. Um, it's just sort of this... Depressing coast into nothingness, which I, I suppose is the point, um, but uh, but it, it just wasn't for me. Uh, Natalie, have some thoughts bubbled up? Until uh, uh, Sad has muted you again.
2: <laughs> no, I I was just thinking about how much you've told me how much you enjoyed that film and. Yeah, I don't really have too much to add to that, but thank you.
1: Which, uh, which genre is your favorite? If you'll, if you'll notice, I, if you if you go to the polls, you'll see that we've got about 10 different genres of movie, but I'm sure there's several on the foremost. What, what do you like the best about sci-fi films? Which genres?
2: I like pretty much anything with monsters, whether it's horror or science fiction. I do have a weakness for monsters.
1: <laughs> Giant type or small type?
2: Ah, uh, giant
1: so have you have you seen the japanese epics dubbed into english or
2: yes but not as many as i'm sure you have
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right so we are soliciting questions those out there what would you like us to talk about what would you like to know James Nichols says there should be remake after remake of I Am Legend until they get it right. <laughs> well, According to Jason, they already did. <laughs> I'm not sure they'll do any better. Well, we have seen a lot of giant monster movies here at The Journey. Um, most Many of them have been Japanese, and Japanese ones have set the mold, which is interesting because King Kong came out, and that was an American production. Um, but aside from... I'm trying to think, what big monster movies have actually come out? It seems like we favor aliens as opposed to monsters.
3: Well, there was um, the other giant ape movie.
1: But was that an American movie or a British movie?
3: Uh, Conga? Conga. I don't remember. Um, All I know was that it was very bad.
1: (laughs) Oh, there's a wonderful
0: comic book of Conga from 1957, 58, with art by Steve Ditko, who's Famous now for Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. I've never seen the film, but um, I've, I've found a few of his of those comics in the back issue, bins.
1: I'm pretty sure Congo was a British film, but I could be... Oh, maybe not. Gorgo was a British film. Um, I think it's AIP,
0: but I could be wrong.
1: Is it? All right. AIP, of course, is... They're known for schlock, but occasionally they pull it out. Um, I, I'm actually surprised at how many AIP productions I enjoy. There's Panic in Year Zero. There's uh, uh, Little Shop of Horrors. uh, We're talking about comedy and Little Shop of Horrors is probably one of the best exemplars of comedy science fiction. Uh, Have you you folks seen that one?
2: Yes, but as far as comedies by Roger Corman, I'm gonna have to go with A Bucket of Blood.
1: Tell us about that.
2: Uh, It tells the story of a aspiring artist who begins murdering people and putting their bodies in paper mache
1: And what makes it funny?
2: Um, I think for anyone that has ever been a struggling artist or knows people who have, they actually really see a lot of truth in that movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Janice, uh, I, I don't have it. The, the archives in front of us, did we ever cover Bucket of Blood? I don't think so.
3: I'm looking for it.
1: So, Natalie, we had talked about a From the Vault feature after uh, after you do uh, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. What do you think of doing Bucket of Blood? I'd love to do it. All right. One of my favorites. That. Oh, and it's got uh, Dick Miller. Yes. Ah, well, now we know it's a Roger Corman.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: He was in, uh, he's been in a lot of things. He was also in Little Shop of Horrors. I, w- I was very impressed with Little Shop of Horrors. I did not expect to like it, and I did. You know, what's interesting about, um, we've. I talked about how their science fiction is isn't really science fiction-y, but then there's a whole genre of science fiction that they've made lots of beautiful movies about, and they continue to do it, and they can get away with it without having to worry about accurate science fiction because they are adaptations of Jules Verne, and H.G. novels, which are already old and out of date, and so they're they're sort of quaint. Um, so The Time Machine and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Journey
3: uh, to the Center of the Earth.
1: Journey to the Center of the Earth. Lorelai, you bring up Journey to the Center of the Earth. Who would you say is the standout character in Journey to the Center of the Earth?
3: Well, isn't it obvious? Gertrude the Duck.
1: And what makes Gertrude the Duck so amazing?
3: <laughs> um, She's the best character in the movie. She's, she's the hero, she saves the day, uh, and she journeys to the center of the earth and gets all the characters back out again. It's, I mean, what is there not to like?
1: No, that, that that makes a lot of sense. So Gertrude the Duck in Journey to the Center of the Earth. Um, I'm gonna have to say that my favorite movie of that genre would be The Time Machine. There's just, it's so beautiful, and the, and the score is great, and Rod Taylor's amazing. Um, and I'm also, time travel gives everything plus two stars for me. Uh, Jason, what would you say is your favorite of the, of the Vernian, Wellesian, big budget, classic color technorama type film?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, I'm actually, uh, I think I, I go with the time machine. I love the slickness of it. I love the, the grand color and MGM feel of it. I think it's just such a grand adaptation of a classic novel. And it's just a delight,
1: Natalie. You've seen War of the Worlds. Uh, how is that as an adaptation of a of a classic book?
2: Um, I don't know. I think for you, like, I think that you'd probably be more critical of it than I would. Because I, I like, I thought it was a thoroughly enjoyable movie. Um. I generally like kind of the George Powell movies, and I usually like Byron uh, Haskin, who did Robinson Crusoe Mars, a lot of episodes on The Outer Limits. Um, I, I thought it was a very enjoyable Technicolor. It, it, it was a delight.
1: Hey, you know, you're, you're right that I will be more critical than everyone, and I certainly savaged when worlds collide. Um, but. I, I have a soft spot in my in my heart for those for the Vernie and Wellesian stuff too because they know what they are and masters of the air with Vincent price is just a great sort of intersection of that genre and a Vincent price movie um, i I still cite that as, as one of my favorites and, and most people don't seem to really know about that film have you guys seen it what's it called master of the air
0: no
2: yeah so, I've seen a lot of
1: Vincent
0: a
2: price movies but I never seen that one.
1: So it is also an adaptation of a Verne novel like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. In fact, it's basically the aerial counterpart. Um, Vincent Price plays this eccentric guy with this giant airship um, and he kidnaps Charles Bronson and some other people and at one point Charles Bronson is hanging by a rope, being suspended and dodging mountains and it's interesting. But it's just, it's neat and and beautiful set design. But Lorelei, what do you remember most about Master of the Air?
3: Master um, of the Air.
1: Master of the world. Ma- Oh, is it Master of the World? Uh, it's Master of the World, excuse me.
3: Um, I have to say, well, there's two things that stood out to me from that movie. One is the ship design was absolutely de- delightful. I'm a big fan of uh, sort of houses and miniature like um, trailers. And this is that, but in the air. And so there was like little curtains and tea sets and, and things that uh, was very delightful. And also, of course, it was occupied by several shirtless muscular men. That was just the whole thing was very <laughs> lovely to look at.
1: Yeah, there you go.
3: There's,
1: it's a, You must have no shirt to work on this vessel. Arr, sign me up. <laughs>
0: um, By the way, I also recommend War of the Worlds. I think it's just a really entertaining, uh, very fast moving film. Um, And especially towards the end, it gets extremely dramatic. On the scenes of the riots in the streets are really well done.
1: Uh, We will, if, if it comes to a theater near us in a revival, we will be sure to check it out. The problem with living in 1965 is of course, movies do not exist at our beck and call. And while we scour the TV guide every week, to see if NBC or CBS or now ABC will have a science fiction movie on as their movie of the week. Uh, the closest we've gotten recently was *The Manchurian Candidate*, uh, which was actually quite good, um, Ooh, but only love that film. yes, um, but only you know, va- I, guess, I suppose that classifies as science fiction.
0: I think it may be one of the best horror films of the 1960s so far.
1: Oh, that's um, an interesting.
0: It, film. It's just it's such a well put together movie. Um, and so relevant to our times. Um, I mean, it was terrifying to think of it uh, before the assassination of our dear president. Um, but um, the drama of it is spectacular. And the acting, uh, I mean, Frank Sinatra is not one who I ordinarily think of as a great actor, but his acting in this movie is
1: spectacular. I understand he insisted on this this part, too. I mean, he, he put a lot into it.
0: Lawrence Harvey's just tortured in every scene emotionally, and you just feel it um, in every moment he's in. Um, The romance between Sinatra and Lee also has been haunting me ever since because it's the least romantic romance in the history of film, I think.
1: (laughs) Have you seen The Manchurian Candidate, Natalie?
2: Yes. And I know that we discussed it a while back when we were watching The Outer Limits with that Year of the Dragon episode. That was very like, heavily influenced by it.
1: Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Which would you say did a better job with it? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting point. So, Natalie, you covered all of The Outer Limits. Would you say that The Outer Limits basically distilled 50s and early 60s movie making for the television audience?
2: Uh, I think some people might say I say that. I know that some of the readers complained about it being a little bit too on the pulpy side, and so I could definitely see where you could make an argument for something like that.
1: But I remember you had talked about how you, there were a lot of, like, German Expressionist directors who found their home oh, there. Oh,
2: yeah, where I talked a lot about, like, the lighting, and it kind of reminded me a lot of, like, German Expressionism and Noir, and, you know, you have people who worked in German Expressionism, especially, like, with, like, Fritz Lang, and uh, who came to Hollywood and made movies. And of course Fritz Lang made film noir as well. And um, I talked a lot about director of photography, Conrad Hall, because I feel like everything he filmed, it didn't matter how ridiculous the episode it was, there were a lot of layers to all the shots and it was all just very, very visually striking.
1: There was a mention going back. We, we did not. It's not really science fiction, but I suppose it it goes with the whole Verne and Wellsian thing. There is also the the sub genre of fantastic films. Uh, anything Ray Harryhausen gets involved with. So we've covered the seventh voyage of Sinbad, um, uh, but not the first six, and uh, and also Atlantis, which is the George Powell film with which used recycled music from the Time Machine. So I suppose that's tangential. Um, so there's there's some there's definitely a lot of genre agnostic stuff that
3: I think uh, you could include uh, the seven faces of Dr. Lowe in that too mm. in that sort of fantastical category.
1: Right. And one of the problems with Doctor Strange Love is in fact it did Dr. not Dr. have Tony Randall.
3: Oh yeah Dr. Yeah Doctor Strange uh, didn't have Tony Randall okay. Doctor Lowe did.
1: But um when worlds not only oh go ahead Jason Well, no, I was just going to say Peter
0: Sellers or Tony Randall. Which one would you rather have?
1: I think that is we don't have an article devoted to Peter Sellers on Galactic Journey. (laughs) Though it is interesting that both of those films were nominated for the Hugo. Both of them had doctor in the title and both of them featured a main actor playing multiple roles. Yeah. Make of that what you will. Um, when worlds collide, did have in fact a Tony and a Randall who, who had more chemistry for each other than uh, than they did for the the leading female. Um, but a Tony and a Randall in close proximity to each other do not equal a Tony Randall. Um, one of the things I want, one of the genres oh, I wanted to bring up that I'm not well versed in, I've only really seen a couple of examples of it, is the body snatcher. Movie, um, which was that started by Highlands the Puppet Master, or is there in fact a a a, a genesis of that genre which predates it? I don't know. Um, someone might tell me. But
0: have you That's seen? I kind don't of think that has to have been around for a long time. Just the idea of transmitting your mind into someone else's body feels as old as pulp fiction itself, doesn't it? Well, and there's Who Goes There too, of course. Mm-hmm. So you're you're probably leading to the original, uh, not the original, the original movie I think of in this genre, which is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is just a gorgeous bit of noir, it really crosses over into being true. Uh, it's just a truly dark, intense, very smartly done film about kind of American paranoia. We um, can really see echoes of the McCarthy era in that film, which really gives it um, some verve and energy.
1: Natalie, do you have other thoughts on Body Snatchers? Because I haven't seen it.
2: I thoroughly enjoyed the film. I also, you know, I I like some of the movies that kind of carry on with that theme, whether it's Invaders from Mars, I Married a Monster from Outer Space, that even though it has a ridiculous title, is actually a really interesting movie. So I'm, I'm definitely a fan of the Body Snatcher type films.
1: I was gonna say, those are the, the exact two movies I was going to mention. Um, and this also goes with Gray Miller's question on what movies did the most with a little. Um, Invasion from Mars, or Invader from Mars, I can't remember the exact title. Invaders from Mars. Was- Invaders from Mars. Um, now that we watched that together, didn't we?
2: No, but I, I frequently spoke about it because when the uh, actors who played the extraterrestrials would turn around, you could see the zippers on their backs. And I said that I kind of liked that about the movie. <laughs>
1: I think we may be thinking about two different movies. There's a movie where the Martians invade, um, but you never they they adopt the form of, of, of one of the members of a family. Um, and it's all filmed on this beautiful estate uh, that was rented for the movie. And that's that's the only that's the only money that they spent on the movie. But it's a really tight psychological horror. And what's really neat about it is you have a married couple and they actually talk to each other and work together. And it's got a very surprising un-Hollywood ending. Uh, the other movie um, you were talking about, I Married a Mur- uh, 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 an Alien from Outer Space, that's actually an excellent movie and really a parable for what it's like to be a woman in an abusive relationship and no one will take you seriously. Um, and again, oh, wow. I don't think they're, uh, five, $6 was spent on it.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of different readings that you can do for that movie. It, it's, it's really interesting. Much better than you would ever think based on the posters and the title.
1: Right. You go in thinking it's just going to be the schlocky B movie, but instead it's it's a powerful feminist film, um, which you start to get in the 50s. And it's, it's, so, it's so interesting because I know there's a lot of people who liked Forbidden Planet out there. I know you exist. And I am not judging you. It is fine. But <laughs> um, it is an incredibly egregiously chauvinist film. Um, and it also requires the stupidity of its commander, which borders on, on incompetence. Now I won't say borders, crosses the line of incompetence, um, but it is very pretty. But, what, but I bring up Forbidden Planet because it is so bad in its, in its treatment of women. And then just two years later, you have I Married An Alien From Outer Space and Wasp Woman, which is sort of the female lead version of the fly. Which again is more about being a woman in a male role, running a company, more than it is anything else. Um, And what it's like, what it is to be an aging woman in a a society that values beauty above all else. Um, Have you guys seen Wasp Woman? I have not.
2: That was a Roger Corman film, wasn't it? I think so. I, I don't think I've seen that one.
1: I strongly recommend it. It's actually one of the few that Janice has seen with me. Uh, it's hard to drag her to the to the movie theaters because she she knows what Lorelai has said after the fact, um, but yeah, that movie is is quite good and again very low budget. I I honestly feel like the low budget movies tend to be better, perhaps because the big budget movies rely on their spectacle. Forbidden Planet. If you turn the sound off, uh, which is a shame because the soundtrack is also revolutionary it is electronic music like i haven't heard except for on the british productions of space patrol and doctor who but it is beautiful just incredible it is science fiction realized um but it's also just a really dumb movie Uh, Gray Miller says he thinks Leslie Nielsen has a as a great future as a serious dramatic a- dramatic actor. You actually see him quite a bit on television. I think he was in an episode of The Fugitive. Uh, he, he makes his way around absolutely I don't think he could do comedy for beans um, but but definitely uh, a, a good good uh, good actor. All right what do we got? I probably missed a whole bunch of questions as we were going through because because uh, I'm m- without my technical assistant right now <laughs> uh, Lorelei, uh, oh, what happened to Jason? Jason, is Intelsat working for you? We might have had to
0: run inside. Sorry, I had to run inside. We had a little rainstorm, so I'm just resetting myself.
1: Oh, I see. Yes, the, you don't want the cameras to get wet.
0: Um, damage the film.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's see. What were we talking about? Um, you know, it's interesting. So, Global disaster is one of the of the genres. And in our poll so far, as the data comes in on our stock ticker, um, nobody has picked it for their favorite category, despite the fact that it includes one of my favorite movies, The Day the Earth Caught Fire. Jason, you just saw that. Tell us what you thought about that movie.
0: Hi, let me bring myself back. The Day the Earth Caught Fire was one of my absolute favorite movies I've seen in a long time and a tremendous surprise. Um, I was frankly blown away by how it kind of is a stealth version of a different film. It's really a newspaper film that happens to have very strong science fiction elements on top of it. And I thought it was just, um, it just felt like it was so based in the real world. Um, It made it extraordinarily powerful.
1: And such a such a contrast to say when worlds collide, which was a cartoon.
0: Sadly, yes. I'm sorry for my video problems here.
1: That is okay. Uh, Blame it on the
0: cameraman. Problems with me. There we go. Um. The the thing about the way the day the Earth caught fire also was that it we really felt like. the, the, the maturity of the characters was very strong in this. The last thing I find in, in a lot of the science fiction films is characters are more shallow because they're in service of the plot, which makes sense. But here, the evolution of the character's relationship really makes sense in context. The romance really felt a lot more realistic. And um, because of that, I felt myself really pulled along with the characters. I really was rooting for them because they're people who I'd want to spend time with outside of this film, as opposed to something like... Um, I don't know when world that not when worlds collide, where I just was like very annoyed by the people I was watching and didn't necessarily care what happened to them. I cared about humanity, especially in the abstract, but not about them in particular.
1: Lorelai is 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 nodding vigorously. Your your thoughts. <laughs> so so are you saying oh, oh go ahead, yeah, go ahead.
3: Oh, you want me to? Oh. Uh...
1: You haven't seen the day the Earth caught fire, but you have seen uh, you have one seen when worlds collide. And how do you feel about a movie that doesn't make its characters likable?
3: Well, the issue with that movie is, is like Jason says, it's the end of humanity. But the portion of humanity they decide to save is just it doesn't give us much hope because <laughs> um, they focus so much on it, it's a celebration of. Fifty society at its worst. The men and the women are always segregated. Um, there is no one who is not white and young and uh, specifically a college student. And it's just kind of offensive that it's to believe that this is the best of humanity and that's all you need is like 30 of these people to start a new colony of humanity. And yeah, it, 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 it Bothered me quite a bit actually because it's a it's a disregard of the value of variety and diversity.
1: Natalie, I want to pose a question to you because you were starting to answer it early on in this in this uh, show. Um, it's being asked why there were so many awful science fiction films in the nineteen fifties, and Albert Jackson specifically references Plan Nine from Outer Space, which may be remembered in hundred years as the worst movie of the 1950s. And you had talked about, you had given some ideas of, of why, um, what with television and and not a lot of money. So I, I'd be very interested to know why we went from big blockbusters to to garbage and so much of it. And if you think it's garbage, or if you think there's redeeming value that people are overlooking.
2: For me, I, I, I try my best to judge things on a case-by-case basis. And so I think there's a lot of, Sure there's some garbage, but I think that if you really take the time to watch things, you'll find a lot of gems in there too.
1: Like what's an example of a movie we should all be watching from the late 50s early 60s that some might throw in that bin but was actually surprisingly decent?
2: You know me, Gideon, I defend a lot of things I probably shouldn't defend. (laughs) I don't know, like I enjoy teenagers from outer space some people might not enjoy that sort of thing but i do what I, did I
1: you like about it? it
2: um i mean i think it was really it's nothing deep and intellectual it's just kind of cheap entertainment but it's still entertaining nevertheless so i don't think that something needs to always you know be intellectually stimulating in order to have some value i think that if you know and I, i've said this countless times but I think that, you know, I, I I think it's kind of a personal thing. If it resonates with you on some level or, you know, it just, or also like there's, there's a lot of movies and TV shows where I don't think are necessarily well written, but maybe there's a lot of craftsmanship that goes into making them. Like maybe they use a lot of miniatures. Maybe they use a lot of makeup and, you know, matte paintings. Like I I, I guess maybe I just notice a lot of the other details that I think maybe sometimes are worth appreciating, even if the whole thing isn't worth Holding it in a high regard.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely, and no one should ever be ashamed for what they enjoy. Um, and what I love about you in particular is your passion. Um, you, you, because of your background, you appreciate all of these details. And you can say, "Yes, this is dumb. This is dumb." But did you see the set design? <laughs> and and that's that's important because a movie is is done by hundreds of people, and and a lot yeah. of most of them get unsung. And so when I when I blast Forbidden Planet. It's because as a movie, I had a lot of issues with it, but there are some absolutely breathtaking things. And to Teenagers from Outer Space's defense, which by the way, I have watched every single time. It has been revived near me. So you do not need to be ashamed for anything, Natalie. It is a dumb movie, but for $5, they spent on the budget. Um, The gun effects are are excellent. Um, The female lead is quite compelling. The cinematography is surprisingly good. The pacing is actually excellent, um, which speaks to the editing and the directorship. So, so yes, on the face of it, it is part of that schlocky B movie sludge. Um, but in fact, it's actually—and <laughs> there it is—they <laughs> got a lot of mileage out of that uh, out of that uh, medical school skeleton they got there. <laughs> <laughs> the way they did the gun effect in Teenagers from Outer Space was—it's just a mirror. Um, but they would shine a light on it, which probably was not fun for the actors. Um, and it would make that cool reflective effect. I, that's creative. I've never seen that anywhere else. So,
2: And I, I I think with someone with like Ed Wood, I think that his enthusiasm for films is really what makes his movies worth seeing. Because you can really tell how much he really, truly loves filmmaking, even though he's not particularly good at it.
1: I, I think that the quote is... Uh, Roger Corman knew he was making schlock. Edward thought he was making art,
2: and Roger Corman stayed at it. So eventually, he started making better movies, like you're seeing, like with the post cycle. So
1: right, and we haven't talked about that because it's not strictly science fiction. And I, I wasn't going to open that big can of worms. But you're absolutely right. There's some great movies in in the post cycle.
2: So what? the pendulum, uh, you know, Mask of the Red Death are all great. Thanks in large part to Vincent Price, who's been taking some really interesting turns in his career. I would n- would have never guessed, looking at a movie like Laura, he'd be doing something like Mask of the Red Death years later. So it's great to see. He's him.
0: had a tremendous career so far.
1: Kerry Doherty, who is a, a, I understand something of a science fiction historian or uh, a, a space historian of of world renown, uh, talked about the rail launch rocket. That's an interesting point. So when worlds collide had this idea of you launch your, you put your rocket on a track to give it acceleration, a boost that, it, that so it doesn't have to waste rocket power to go up. Uh, and that's something we don't seem to see very much these days. Although in some science fiction circles, I've seen them talking about electromagnetic uh, rails to launch uh, spaceships on. So that's kind of interesting. When Worlds Collide has some very pretty model work, what you see of it unfortunately where they should be showing the death of the world they instead show the inside of an office shaking around for about 10 minutes
0: strange yeah they make some very odd choices in that film
1: yes we made a very odd choice to watch oh we had to watch it it was it was on (laughs) um i'm trying to think of anything else that has come out recently um, that everyone should know about jason you've you have managed to to Bone up in the last couple of months, knowing we were going to do a show and, and catching all the films everywhere you could. What are some films we haven't talked about that that you want to talk about as a standouts?
0: I want to talk about two um, oddball international films, which might be a bit hard to find these days. Um, my friend, the critic, ordered them on eight millimeter out of the back of Warren magazines, um, and they're complete opposites to each other. Actually, one he one he got as an eight millimeter. The other we went to the one of the the ritzier theaters in Seattle to see. Um, A film called Alphaville, which is a French movie directed by an up and comer named Jean-Luc Godard, um, was um, this very kind of strange science fiction movie that mixes the American hard-boiled genre with um, some kind of, end not end of the world, but cosmic elements to it and produces something that's very kind of dislocating and strange, but also kind of brilliantly done. Um, we only saw it the one time in the theater and you know, there's a smell of pot in the air as, as um, we were watching it. It's that type of theater. Um, but um, it was a one of the more unique film attending experiences that I've ever had. Um, so he's certainly a director to watch. Uh, maybe Natalie knows more about him and what he's done before. Since I, was, I walked out of that theater just kind of shaking my head saying, I'm not sure what to make of this, but I enjoyed it a lot. The other movie um, is one that my friend picked up at the recommendation of our Soviet reviewer. I still don't know how you got a reviewer from the Soviet Union called Amphibian Man, which is um, of all things about a romance between a beautiful woman and a man who is being kind of groomed to live under the water by a scientist in Argentina. And it's got this very kind of beautiful earthy feel to it. It's very grounded and very real feeling. Um, and very much like a celebration of life in this um, water uh, beach town in Argentina and some of the audit uh, events that happen there. It's really more of a fantasy or maybe a parable than anything but I found it so moving and interesting and so unique compared to anything else I've seen um, that I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Um, we are getting ready to uh, finish the show. I wanted to segue um, the next show that we do in two weeks uh, and everyone who came today will, will be shown the way to, uh, read, to book their ticket for that show. In two weeks, we're going to be talking to Erica Friedman, who is an expert on the new field of Japanese animation. And you may think, well, what's a bunch of cartoons got to do with me? But in fact, um, there's some really interesting things being done with science fiction in Japan on primetime in their cartoons. Uh, So we'll be talking about that in two weeks. So if you're at all interested in Japanese animation, a genre that as yet has no name, uh, then we hope you'll join us in two weeks. Um, So... With two minutes left of the show, I'm gonna go around the table and ask what movie you would recommend people go out right now and watch if they can find it on their TV Guide listings or in their movie listings. And I will, now that I've put you all on the spot, I will go to Lorelei. Uh,
3: Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is Dr. Lowe for one reason only. uh, And that's because you should see Tony Randall acting at his finest. Um, It really is a delight to watch.
1: So The Seven Faces of Dr. Lowe, a Hugo nominee last year, one of only two, um, and quite a delightful movie if you overlook the sort of ancillary romance that, that weaves its way through the movie and doesn't involve Tony Randall. Natalie, what movie would you, would you urge everyone to, to go out and watch?
2: I was actually gonna say the same thing and say Alphaville. I am definitely really liking what I'm seeing from Jean-Luc Godard. I like a lot of the French filmmakers. I like, uh, a few years back, Chris Marker did La Jetée, which I thought was really good. Um, So yeah, that's definitely a film that's worth checking out if you can see it in your local art house or...
1: Jason mentioned that you probably knew some other things he'd done. Yeah, he
2: did a film called Breathless. He's someone who, uh, he started off, I guess, writing about film. And so he knows a lot about the history, knows a lot about, you know, film theory, and he, you know, he keeps some things. He makes his own rules. <laughs> really interesting filmmaker, and absolutely worth your time. Excellent. And Jason, how about you?
0: I'm going to go back to the day the Earth caught fire, which is um, just a marvelously well done film, and um, just had me on the edge of my seat the whole time. Not just about the science fiction elements, but about the romance also
1: i am going to this week i think i'm going to have to watch them we were trying to decide what our next movie that we had not seen from the early 50s if we could find it and i know that them is playing in this little drive-in on the end of town so i think we're gonna have to pick that one up so thank you everyone gosh this was as fun as i thought it would be and no technical problems the journey show has evolved. If we, if we make it through an entire show without any problems, we consider that five stars, everybody. So again, we hope to see you in two weeks. But before then, as you know, you can join us for conversation and drinks at Portal 55. And uh, I will be there. Jason will be there. Hopefully Natalie will be there. Uh, and we can continue this conversation on this and anything else you like. And I've got some amazing margaritas that I can mix for you there. So thank you very much for being here. And I will see you over at Portal 55. Oh, thank you.